Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can follow us on social media by searching Medium Cool Pod on Instagram. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And this week's episode is dedicated to Black History Month, and we are looking at the history of black filmmakers and their influence on cinema. And today I'm going to talk just a little bit, like a brief history uh, on black filmmakers and, and such. I'll do a little solo thing with that, and then I'm going to have Joe. So, uh, come on, and we're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, our experience with this, okay? Now, I, I fully acknowledge that the two of us are just like middle-aged white men, okay? Uh, <clears throat> but my hope is that uh, sometime this month I'll be able to have, um, you know, a a, a a black filmmaker or or a, a black film critic or, or, or someone who might be able to come in. I'm working on that right now, but my hope is to also kind of celebrate this and get a different perspective than our you know, whiteness, basically. So, um, but that said, though, part of what uh, made me want to do this is there is an Oscar Best Picture nominee called American Fiction uh, that came out last year. And in my neck of the woods, it just was re-released, basically, or maybe for the first time released, but it never came here before either way. Uh, but it is uh, released here in theater, so I was able to see it. I was actually, my wife and I were the only two people in the theater. And so, uh, we were watching American fiction, and though I feel it's extremely heavy-handed, uh, and it kind of focuses on um, basically how you know our culture, which is dominantly white. Let's just be real, okay? Um, there are a lot of you know liberal white folks that really want to be, as they say, woke, and so they really want to experience or or understand you know what it means to live as a black person in society, and so. So the film American Fiction, which we'll probably cover on another episode, um, but that film really kind of dives into the stereotypes of blackness and white culture and and uh, how uh, white people literally have no fucking clue how like like what black experience is. Um, and uh, there are some really funny ways that they kind of make fun of these, you know, weird white people who. Uh, want to think that they are in some ways embracing and bettering black culture by their existence, but in reality just fulfill stereotypes and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, though I'm not a huge fan of that movie, I did like it. I had a good time. I was amused by it. Um, but it did it did make me want to kind of think about this some more and think about, well, Joe and I are two just white dudes. You know, what are we doing with this? And, and you know, just kind of explore this idea and this concept. And that's where all of this came from. Also, every single year that Medium Cool has been a thing. I have uh, scheduled a calendar out on what I wanted to do, and I always wanted to tackle black filmmakers because some of my favorite films are by black filmmakers. And so I wanted to, you know, look at uh, some of those movies and whatnot, and I just haven't done it. I don't know why. I don't even remember. I probably just kind of ran out of time and rushed an episode or something, to be honest. I have no clue why this hasn't happened, but I made sure it happened this year. Uh, we'll see how this episode goes. This is just as much an exploration for Joe and I as it will be for you to listen to this. So uh, first, I'm going to give a brief, you know, history of black filmmakers and their influence on cinema before I bring Joe in and discuss, you know, our experiences with black filmmakers and their movies. So all that said, buckle up. I'll be right back with black filmmakers, a history 
Throughout the history of cinema, African-American filmmakers have played a crucial role in shaping the landscape of film and influencing cultural narratives. From the early pioneers who defied racial barriers to contemporary visionaries pushing boundaries and challenging stereotypes, African-American filmmakers have made significant contributions to cinema, paving the way for diverse voices and stories to be heard and celebrated. In the early 20th century, African-American filmmakers faced immense challenges due to systemic racism and segregation in the film industry. And despite these obstacles, pioneers like Oscar Micheaux and Spencer Williams emerged as trailblazers, producing independent films that depicted the realities of black life in America. Michaud's film, uh, such as Within Our Gates and The Symbol of the Unconquered, both from 1920, addressed social issues such as racism and discrimination, while Williams, The Blood of Jesus from 1941, explored themes of spirituality and redemption within the black community. Hollywood trailblazers, uh, you know, began to integrate into the mid 20th century. African-American filmmakers broke new ground by challenging stereotypes and advocating for authentic representation on screen. And directors like Gordon Parks, who helmed the groundbreaking film The Learning Tree in 1969, and Melvin Van Peebles, whose revolutionary work Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song from 1971 paved the way for the exploitation genre, and it pushed boundaries and challenged the status Whoa. Now, the latter part of the 20th century saw a resurgence of African-American filmmaking with directors like Spike Lee, John Singleton, and Julie Dash leading the charge. Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, 1989, one of my all-time favorites by a black filmmaker, uh, and Malcolm X from 1992 tackled issues of race, identity, and social justice, while John Singleton's Boys in the Hood... Uh, from 1991, offered a poignant portrayal of life in South Central Los Angeles. Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust from 1991 made history as the first feature film directed by an African-American woman to receive wide theatrical distribution, showcasing the rich cultural heritage of the Gullah community. In the 21st century, African-American filmmakers continue to make their mark on cinema, exploring a diverse range of themes and genres. Uh, Ava DuVernay's Selma from 2014 and 13th, the documentary from 2016, shed light on the ongoing struggle for civil rights and racial justice, while Barry Jenkins' Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk offer intimate portraits into black identity and love. Jordan Peele's Get Out from 2017 and Us from 2019, not to mention, uh, or not to forget, rather, uh, his film Nope. Uh, have redefined the horror genre using social commentary to address issues of race and privilege. From the early pioneers who paved the way to the contemporary visionaries shaping the future of cinema, African-American filmmakers have left an indelible mark on the art form, challenging conventions, amplifying diverse voices, and telling stories that resonate with audiences around the world. As we continue to celebrate their contributions, it is essential to recognize the importance of representation and inclusion in cinema, ensuring that all voices are heard and all stories are told. But when one starts to look at the depiction of black people in film, we see that throughout the cinematic our cinematic history, the, the portrayal of black people has evolved significantly, reflecting the prevailing social and cultural attitudes of their time. 
From stereotypical and derogatory caricatures to nuanced and authentic representations, the depiction of black characters in film has been shaped by a complex interplay of factors, including racism, prejudice, and changing perceptions of race and identity. Now, when we think of early depictions, in those early days of cinema, black characters were often relegated to demeaning and stereotypical roles, perpetuating harmful racial stereotypes and caricatures. I'm going to use caricatures multiple times because it's the perfect word to uh, explain what I'm trying to say here. But these portrayals commonly were commonly known as, I fucking hate these words, but coon or mammy stereotypes. Uh, <clears throat> it like hurts my feelings to even say that, but... Uh, depicted black, these depicted black people as subservient, buffoonish, and intellectually inferior. Films like The Birth of a Nation from 1915, albeit an incredibly important film in terms of the progress of storytelling in film, um, is terrible when it comes to this. And Gone with the Wind in 1939 exemplified these harmful stereotypes as well, reinforcing white supremacy and perpetuating racist ideologies. I would happily give back the progress in American film to avoid the white supremacist and perpetuation of racial ideologies in the birth of a nation. I need that to be clear. Um, so then that leads us back to what I mentioned before, black exploitation era, that genre uh, that most of us have likely heard of. We've seen parodies and, and homages to. But during the 1970s, the emergence of that genre provided a platform for black filmmakers and actors to reclaim agency and challenge stereotypes. Films like Shaft from 1971, Superfly from 1972, and Foxy Brown from 74 featured strong, empowered black protagonists who navigated urban landscapes and fought against injustice. Now, while black exploitation films were criticized for their sensationalism and exploitation of black culture, they also provided an important or an opportunity rather for black voices to be heard and black stories to be told on screen. And that is the important thing to take away from this. Though we may look back at certain black exploitation films and see what we would now consider stereotypes or caricatures in some way, uh, we have to understand that at this point in time, the black exploitation genre really did focus on that voice. It gave room for different representation and different ideas. Different philosophies on current culture and the climate of racial tensions. So this was an incredibly important aspect of cinema, especially during the 70s. Um, but luckily, we have progressed. And so whenever we think of more of the modern Hollywood in the latter part of the 20th century, especially the portrayal of black characters became more nuanced and complex, reflecting changing social attitudes and a growing demand for diversity in cinema. And filmmakers like Spike Lee, John Singleton and Julie Dash, as I mentioned before, were huge influences on that. Now, when we think of the characters that are put into the films by those directors and others, uh, we have to also recognize that that sensationalism and exploitation in many ways was left or reduced uh, so that better and more realistic depictions of things could be represented. So thinking of something like Boys in the Hood, uh, to me, when I watch that today, it feels like such a film of its time. It feels like a very 1991 movie. However, at that time, that was an incredibly effective film. 
And it was an impactful film, especially that last sequence, which I guarantee you've seen, even if you don't know, you have. So as we move into the new millennium in the 21st century, black filmmakers and actors have continued to push those boundaries and challenge those conventions, offering a diverse range of perspectives and stories. One of my favorite is Moonlight, but also we have to consider things like Marvel's Black Panther, the first film in particular. They have garnered critical acclaim and commercial success, showcasing the talent and creativity of black artists and storytellers. And these films explore issues of race, identity, and belonging while celebrating the resilience and strength of black communities. The depiction of black people in cinema has evolved significantly over time, thankfully, from harmful stereotypes, as I mentioned, to authentic and empowering representations. And I love that this progress has been made and continues to be made. While challenges and obstacles remain, and I think the big takeaway from this that I want to make sure is clear is as we continue to celebrate the achievements of black artists in cinema, it is essential to recognize the importance of representation and inclusion, ensuring that all voices are heard and all stories are told, as I mentioned before and I say again. As a white man trying to talk about this, it's an interesting exercise because I honestly don't know by experience what being a part of the black culture or living as a black person in America feels like. I, I don't know that. I have a certain privilege that was given to me by a prominent culture, and they offered me something I didn't ask for, but that I have taken advantage of my entire life. And, and when I say taken advantage of, I don't mean even consciously. It's just a part of the white experience. So when I watch films by Spike Lee or, or, or by Barry Jenkins or, or by these black filmmakers that I like um, or in general, I find that I can learn a little bit more about people that I may not fully understand or know. And something anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough will know, I love movies about people. I just want to understand people. I don't care what I'm understanding. I don't care if it's a film that focuses on the LGBT community or the black community or women or whatever that I am not, right? Uh, I, I want to learn more about that so that I can build empathy and I can un better understand the situations of others so that with what privilege I have, I may be able to do something um, whether it be on a small scale or whatever, just be able to be mindful of that and move forward so that whatever steps I take hopefully will be helpful. And as a white man exploring black culture through movies, that is not the only way I do, but that is a way I often do because I love movies. Um, you know, watching films like Do the Right Thing or Moonlight or something along those lines may have may lead to me or, or one to have several thoughts and reflections. And one thing that I think of, and I have a few, is cultural awareness. You know, watching films that authentically depict black culture can provide valuable insights and understanding for white dudes like me um, or white women or, or, or people that are not a part of that community. And through the characters, settings and storylines presented in these movies, you know, one may gain a deeper appreciation for the diversity and the richness and the complexity of the black experience and perspective. 
Another thing that we can learn, like I mentioned, is empathy, empathy and perspective. You know, engaging with characters from different backgrounds can foster that empathy and and broaden one's perspective. And and by immersing oneself in the lives of characters like Mookie from Do the Right Thing or Chiron from Moonlight, a, a, a white man like me, you know, may develop a greater understanding of the challenges, the joys and aspirations faced by black individuals in society. I also think uh, in terms of like other themes of intersectionality, films like Do the Right Thing and Moonlight also explore, you know, intersectional identities and the ways one race intersects with other aspects of identity, such as gender, sexuality and socioeconomic status. And, you know, I, I may come to recognize the interconnectedness of various social issues and gain insights into the complexities of identity and privilege. Critical reflections is another thing. You know, watching movies that tackle themes like race, identity, and social justice can prompt critical self-reflection for me and you, quite frankly. And, you know, one may question their own assumptions, their biases, their privileges, and confront uncomfortable truths about systemic racism and inequality in society. And... I think just another side of this is also just cultural appreciation. Engaging with black cinema can also foster that deeper appreciation for the artistic contributions and cultural heritage of black filmmakers and artists. And by recognizing and celebrating the talent and creativity showcased in these films, a white man can, or a white person really, sorry, I keep saying man, I'm just thinking myself, so pardon the the selfishness there, but a white person can contribute to a more inclusive an equitable cultural landscape. And so when I think about the importance of, of black cinema um, or black filmmakers creating stories that they want to be heard, I think about the current climate in our country, in our world, um, how systemic racism has been illuminated um, and how it has been dealt with by you know different people. Uh, I, I find it very interesting that through all of this, we're still gaining perspective. We're still learning stories through film that can help us better navigate the real world. And that's the power of cinema to me, that we can learn something that we can put into action and effect. And so I hope that you will take some of what I'm saying now and you'll be able to move forward and explore some of these wonderful movies. And I know I've talked about Do the Right Thing and Moonlight a lot. Those are two of my favorites, okay? So I bring those up because they just come to mind because I think about them a lot. But there are so many out there. And Joe and I are going to talk about some here soon. And uh, I would like to address one more thing. I want to talk about, based on my perspective, and again, acknowledging that I am not... Uh, the same as the filmmaker who made it, right? But I want to talk about what I perceive, just so we have this perspective, as like a really fucking good film by a black filmmaker, and that is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Again, already talked about it, mentioned it at least a bunch, but I want to, I want to use this as an example of a film. I know I'm going to talk about Moonlight later with Joe. So, um, so whenever I think about do the right thing from 1989, I think about like the exploration of racial tensions. Think about 1989, dude, there's so much going on historically there. And Spike Lee comes out and delves into the complex and often fraught dynamics of 
race relations in America, you know, particularly the urban settings. And and it's set in that like, what is it? Uh, Bedford neighborhood or, or what is it? Uh, Stuyvesant. I can't remember how to what that what the word is now, but in the neighborhood of Brooklyn. On the hottest day of the summer, and Do the Right Thing explores the simmering racial tensions between black residents and the predominantly Italian-American community, culminating in a tragic and violent climax, this film. And by depicting the everyday interactions and conflicts between characters of different racial backgrounds, the film offers a searing and unflinching portrayal of racism and prejudice in American society. And rather than presenting simplistic portrayals of heroes and villains, Do the Right Thing features the diverse cast of characters with complex motivations and perspectives, from the hot-headed Sal, the owner of the local pizzeria, to the idealistic Mookie, the film's protagonist. Each character is depicted with depth and humanity, allowing viewers to empathize with their struggles and contradictions. This nuanced approach of seeing both sides, I said size, of seeing both sides to the characterations challenging stereotypes and, and encouraging audiences to confront their own biases and preconceptions. See, Spike Lee is no stranger to cinematic innovation because he had a bold and innovative filmmaking style on this film and many of his films and it was on full display here. And from the distinctive use of color and visuals to the dynamic camera work, the kinetic editing, Lee employed a range of techniques to create a visually striking and emotionally resonant cinematic experience. And so the film's eclectic soundtrack, which you know featured a mixture of hip-hop, jazz, and R&B music, you know, it just further enhanced its impact, capturing the vibrant energy and cultural richness of the Brooklyn neighborhood. And so Do the Right Thing serves as a powerful vehicle for social and political commentary as well, addressing issues of systemic racism, like I said, but also police brutality, gentrification, and urban decay. Through its provocative narrative and thought-provoking themes, the film encourages viewers to confront uncomfortable truths about race and power in America, sparking important conversations and debates about the legacy of slavery and segregation, as well as the ongoing struggle for racial justice and equality. So since its release, Do the Right Thing has left an indelible mark on American cinema and popular culture, and the film's impact can be seen in its enduring relevance and influence, inspiring generations of filmmakers and artists to explore similar themes and topics in their work. And its iconic imagery, you know, the the uh, memorial characters, basically, the, the, the um, or, sorry, I said memorial, the, well, that too, if you know what I'm talking about, but the uh, memorable characters is what I meant to say. Words have been hard today. And the the powerful message really continues to resonate with audiences and myself around the world and, and, and cementing its status as a timeless classic and a landmark achievement in film history that it just goes unsaid. So I, that that's how I would talk about Do the Right Thing. And Do the Right Thing is a, a movie that I wish we would get more of. And when I think about if Beale Street could talk, the 2018 Barry Jenkins film. 
a movie that, quite frankly, I didn't really care to see whenever my wife was like, let's watch this. It just wasn't the movie I wanted to watch in that moment until I watched it and realized, wow, this is actually really good and really powerful. And I found that there was a very powerful voice there. And we see this in many movies. I'll bring up uh, Steve McQueen as well, who made the Small Axe uh, anthology of short films, which is really great. And you also have things like 12 Years a Slave. You know, he can make movies about black experience. And so uh, there are a lot of great filmmakers. I hope Joe and I are able to talk about many more of them. Uh, but my hope is that this doesn't just become a podcast about two white dudes talking about black cinema. I do, although that's what this inevitably will be, but I'm I'm hoping that throughout this month, I'm hoping, I can't promise, but I'm hoping I can get someone in here so we can talk a bit more in depth and have more uh, 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 diversity of of experience. Uh, whenever we talk about this. That said, I hope you will stay tuned and enjoy Joe and I talking about the movies that impacted us that are made by black filmmakers and and uh, and kind of our thoughts on, uh, you know, uh, the the presence of black artists in cinema. All right, Joe, we are talking about, uh, you know, films by black filmmakers in celebration of Black History Month. I do want to kind of catch you up on some things uh, that are that I've been talking about on this episode already um, mm-hmm. and uh, and some things that the listeners will know. So I won't belabor this point very much, but uh, something that I was interested in kind of bringing to this episode was talking about kind of cultural awareness um, and how we can develop that through watching these movies and how we can um, engage uh, with the characters and things in these movies to instill like an empathy and perspective uh, mm-hmm. for people outside of that community or that lived experience to learn from and intersectionality and, you know, being able to reflect critically on our own uh the inequalities in society and the systemic racism and our own biases and also just like a cultural appreciation as well. Um, Being able to kind of understand and appreciate these films um, regardless of our lived experiences and hopefully kind of gain some importance. And this all came from um, the, one of the Oscar nominees that, as I mentioned to you before we started rolling, we're not going to talk about in depth, but I think it is a good jumping off point actually, which is American fiction, mm-hmm. uh, and how that film kind of addresses, uh, whiteness as it relates to art created by black people, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, which is basically for mm-hmm. us two fucking middle-aged white dudes to mm-hmm. talk about black cinema right i just thought watching american fiction was just like a really funny uh realization to me like yeah like doing an episode like this is like both weird and important to me so um yeah like uh, with american fiction and stuff just like kind of leading out of that like what are some thoughts you have uh, about these things yeah so the you know the the thing that that struck me you know about that movie and about kind of race in particular is that you know as as white people you know we've been you know there's there's been this kind of slate in the last 
over the last 30 years or so of of movies about inner city black people for example like particularly poor inner city black people and kind of their plight so to speak and you know stuff like boys in the hood and you know just like those those movies where it's like this is what it's like in the hood and you don't understand and and those movies were extraordinarily impactful in the 90s and and of course boys in the hood is still a movie i you know that's when we were talking about this topic it's the first movie that that came to mind but it's also after you know after the first couple of years you know where we kind of introduced this to mainstream white america it became very quickly became a cliche and something that uh is is even kind of has the the opposite effect that it's meant to have you know you, you look at things like driving this daisy and more recently green book is one that we pick on a lot that uh the things like um uh, the blind side that's the one I, I like to pick on because I hate that movie so much where there's you know there's a white savior or there's a black savior or there's you know like look at these wise white people who are helping these poor downtrodden you know hopeless black people and you know that's that's a sort of pandering in, in a lot of ways you know and, and that's what American fiction is that's a lot of the kind of the central core of American fiction is is Jeffrey Wright's character's hatred of of that cliche and that he doesn't want to write that stuff because he's it feels like he's above it and then of course like that's all they want to get they all, that's all they want from him is is to see like we need this hard scrabble in the in the hood sort of writing from this black man because that's what black people do and and it's just kind of kind of this continuing extension of racism you know and um and it's funny because it it feels like that's a more contemporary idea, but also it's not, um, you, you know, the one thing that, and I think I've mentioned this maybe on this podcast, it's probably been a long time, but, um, you know, going all the way back to guess who's coming to dinner back in the, you know, the late sixties where, uh, it, it's basically about a black man who's dating a white girl and they go to her parents' house. And, you know, if you say that in the, context of the 60s you think oh the parents are going to be racist but but no it's uh you know it's spencer tracy and Catherine hepburn and they're they're two rich white liberals and they are very happy there's there's that you know that jordan peele you know get out i would have voted for obama a third time if i could have sort of mentality but they have to kind of confront their the racism they still possess even though they kind of fancy themselves as as enlightened so yeah that's that's really just an interesting that's just such an interesting tack to take that and just to think that all the way back then like that was groundbreaking back then but now we're still making those movies that in you know those movies in in i mean media of all kinds where we have to get through that yeah i i think <clears throat> excuse me i think uh it, that's a really important thing that i touched on in the intro that i want i guess we could talk about briefly mm -hmm. I, we don't need to like go on and on but Sure. Um, is is place and time, you know, like th there are films in the 50s and 60s, for example, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, that what is the other Sidney Poitier movie I'm trying to think of? Because you just mentioned Guess Who's mm -hmm. Coming to Dinner. Um, hold on. I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, I'll look for it whenever you are talking, maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it's it's driving me nuts though because uh -huh. it's it's the one where he he and uh, Tony Curtis, the Defiant ones, the Defiant like the ones, Defiant okay. ones, was like a kind of groundbreaking racial thing. But in the end, 
like it all is in the weight of the of the white dude. You know what I'm saying? But but for the time, depicting race in the way that they did was really important. I was talking in the intro um, and and the kind of history segment about uh, like black exploitation and stuff where now we look at that as almost caricature and stereotypical. Right. Yeah. But like at the time, that was like really important to get those stories and those like uh, that representation out there right Uh, and it it empowered people then even if it wouldn't now because now we might say it as it reinforces certain negative stereotypes or cliches right but at the time it was different and so i do like to think of those movies then it doesn't make them right or wrong now i'm not i'm not trying to argue one way or the other i'm just saying i find that really interesting Mm-hmm. And um, you, you mentioned like uh, like the American fiction thing where it's like, all right, everything's got to be from the like hood or yeah. <laughs> as they would say in that in that movie or like, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything's got to be whatever, however white people can empathetically talk about black people. We should see that. That'd be powerful. We should see that. Yes. Um, and I think about like movies like Beasts of the Southern Wild, which was you know um it wasn't created by a black filmmaker um but it was about black experience in the south and uh, i believe new orleans if i remember correctly or that area and um that was something that broke through basically you know largely because of the of the uh young kid known as hush puppy in the movie uh her performance right um but like yet again though like that was a if you watch that movie and i loved that movie when it came out that was easy top 10 for me i just haven't seen it since so i don't remember uh well enough but it's it's interesting that we have this non-black individual creating a story that feels like it's deep in black culture but i'm almost scared to rewatch it <laughs> because of how much because of how far the the bar has been pushed at this point kind of like we talked about the defiant ones we talk about black exploitation at their time they were able to strike a chord right but yeah. then we look back now and we can see certain uh, uh either uh, vagueness or 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 uh it's avoiding certain authenticities um, because now, man, we have we have people like Barry Jenkins and we have the Jordan Peels, Spike Lee's um, like uh, who did I just say a minute ago? Steve McQueen. Yeah. Um, not to be mistaken with the actor who is dead, but the <laughs> uh, the filmmaker. Um, so. Like, it's interesting to think back on those movies, because if there's anything that I care about the most, not that what I care about when it comes to black cinema uh, matters all that much. But what I want to see and what I hope for it is that people make lasting, like good movies that are not just for their time, uh, but that they can make these like lasting, impactful films. And I think we're like getting there. I think we're at a point. Where like you have something like us, which is my least favorite Jordan Peele movie. Personally, I'm not a huge fan. I do like it, but I'm not a huge fan. But we were talking about this before we were recording where it's like technically that could probably just be a white family. But I love like the importance for me is like representation, giving opportunities for these stories to be told. Mm -hmm. Um, Like like we aren't going to see great artists come out and film until we give 
great artists an opportunity to make the films that make them great artists. Yeah. You understand what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, but but also tying into like the idea of of everyone wants not everyone, but the, let, I mean, let's face it, like studios know that the most money that comes in is from the hands of white folks and they want to cater to white folks. This is more of a, a generalization, but still, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, they're going to maybe appeal to uh, a, the widest audience they can. And maybe the film is intended or, or might be most impactful to a specific audience. But mm-hmm. if they can make a green book and make a ton of money and make a bunch of white folks bust that American fiction uh, white folks <laughs> stereotype, right? And uh, and get that in a Best Picture nominee. Then mm-hmm. hell yeah, dude, we're gonna do it. Wait, did it fucking win that year? It did. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So my my point is, uh, like those are the important things to me. And and I love that you bring up that whole thing about like that that it, like blackness is not the only identifier of a person, right? Yeah. So I think like someone who's really good at that is like Ryan Coogler. Who can make all of these films from Fruitvale Station to Creed to Mm -hmm. Black Panther. And they all feel different in a way. And they all have different kind of audiences maybe and pacing. Like -hmm. Fruitvale Station is much more of an introspective, uh, like following this character as he lives the final hours or days of his life. Mm -hmm. Um, You have... Uh, uh, Creed, which is a more moderately paced, not super fast, but not slow by any means. And it ties into a franchise. So you have that. Mm -hmm. And then you have Black Panther, which I think is a much quicker paced movie um, Mm -hmm. and also ties into a franchise, but was the first of its kind. All three of those, though, the through line is the injection of authentic black culture. Maybe not like the most... But regardless, it's more authentic than shit that we watched even like 20 years ago. Okay? <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's it's just it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't yeah. know if you have anything else to say about anything related to that, but that's just where I am right now. Yeah, I mean, well, and you you kind of brought that point up of, you know, could you it's in some ways, I think a, a sign of I don't know how to say it equality. Uh, that's not the word for it, but that things are better is not just that you see black faces on the screen, right? It's that, you know, you go back, go back to that, that point again, you made that. Could you, if you plugged a white person into that role, would that role have to be substantially different? And, you know, and I'm, and I'm actually looking at, um, at the IMDb entry for a movie that I reviewed years ago called this Christmas, which is, a, you know, is a Christmas movie that is an all black cast. And that's kind of the, you know, it, it's got, you know, I mean, and it's got people like Regina King. I'm looking at the, the cast list, Delroy Lindo, uh, Idris Elba, Chris Brown, who, you know, uh, uh, Loretta mm-hmm. Devine, Columbus short, uh, you know, but they, this is uh, Mackay Pfeiffer, isn't it also. And there's, they're just a, this is just a family film. The, the fact that it's full of black people is, is, you know, and and there are a few, if any, I don't even know what white people are in that movie. To be honest, I, it's I've not watched it frequently, but I reviewed it and gave it a, I think a, a pretty positive review. But to me, the the thing that's notable about it is that it's not a it's not a black family. It's just a family, and you know that they're black is is sort of not, I don't want to say inconsequential from a societal perspective, but for the the story of the film it's not all that consequential. It's just that, you know, they're, these are people having 
these are normal people having normal lives. These aren't, you know, people who are in, you know, these absurd circumstances or extreme poverty. They're, you know, those aren't the things they're fighting. They're they're having uh, they're having the same issues basically that a hundred other Christmas movies starring white people, starring mostly white people, um, have had in you know over the past twenty or thirty years. And that that to me is is kind of a a much better indicator than than another of these like here's a a poor black woman you know like a thousand and one which you know is came out last year which is a, a terrific movie um but it you know it, it still technically falls within that category right this is you know this is here's a here's a black woman with a young son of course she's like has some of those cliches she's a single mother and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um and you know again not to criticize that film because i really like that movie but but that is certainly that the thing that you know both american fiction and you know many other people over the years have have been criticizing that you know black cinema should be more than just you know inner city problems and racism and you know race relations and things like that so yeah i i think i think that's important to just to mention uh, at least, I guess, as we're talking about some of these movies, because, you know, of course, some of these movies that really uh, impacted me are some of these movies that we're talking about where, you know, Boys in the Hood is is the one that, you know, kind of the quintessential one is still is one of my favorite films. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think but I think it's important to make that distinction anyway. As sure. we're <laughs> I, well, I think it's interesting. Like I was just looking at uh, I was looking up Oscar nominees Mm-hmm. Dude, yo, we don't need to talk about Oscars and race. This is something that we can talk about for a long time. I'm not yes. trying to get there, but I'm just mm-hmm. making a point. Your point um, yeah. is, you know, you have uh, stuff like uh, uh, Precious from 2009, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which I actually loved that movie. Like, that was awesome. But it yeah. ties back into that struggling black family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, uh, 12 Years a Slave. Yes. Dude's mm-hmm. a slave. Right. Right. So yeah. what I'm trying to make a point of is like the classic thing. Uh, I'm not saying that this has completely gone away. Don't get me wrong. But, right. you know, in the 60s or 70s, it's like or well, 60s, we'll say 50s, 60s. Uh, women in movies were either housewives, uh, nurses or mm-hmm. like uh, assistants or, or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was like yeah. they had a very small or like prostitutes or something, you know, like right. it was right. like they had very select things. And a lot of the movies that really get chosen to make your point are very much that it's like it's like you are either uh, poor and struggling so it's the underdog story but it's still the depiction like that's what we get in a dominant depiction of black people mm-hmm. um you have 12 years a slave which again i love that movie and i i love uh i i love um uh steve mcqueen uh yeah. big fan of his movies as well and again small acts and stuff like that really big fan um, and he's made like movies outside of black culture, like shame. I think shame's really great. Tackles a lot of really interesting concepts. He deals with Irish uh, prisoners and hunger. Like, you know, he, he didn't really hit like black culture until he hit uh, 12 years a slave and small acts. You know what yeah. I mean? And and yeah. again, I haven't seen widows yet. Actually, I completely I knew it existed, but I just spaced it. Like it's not <laughs> even a thing I ever saw. So yeah. I should see that. But uh uh, Moonlight, which is probably one of my favorite films in the last decade, yeah. maybe in the 2010s. I fucking love this movie. Still <laughs> about black, a black man who lives in a in a poor, poor community, 
Yeah. Um, he has a father figure that's a drug dealer. <laughs> you know, now, yeah. now, I think Moonlight, I think it is uh, like uh, a special movie that actually subverts all of these things. But yes. I don't. I'm only pulling out these things to make the point. Okay. I'm not at all talking about the quality of these movies because again, so far I like these Um, get out is actually just kind of an anomaly to me Mm -hmm. of something that got really popular. Um, And, and and I think I, this ties, this still fits the mold though, where it ties into your idea (laughs) of get out is addressing that problem that american fiction does you know yes. like the, i voted for obama white right. liberal, you know like yes. like um yeah. like that makes me okay i have black friends yes um, you know like that kind of a thing um and and it does that but it's like it's almost like because it's meta in that way or whatever it's like it got popular because white folks want to think that they're above it because they can identify it in this movie you yes. get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So I don't know, man. Like it's it's just interesting to see the movies that get selected for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Green Book, which it doesn't really fit into our kind of box that we're working in right now. But my point is, though, like thinking of these movies, um, it's not that I I think there's a place for movies like this. But I, mm-hmm. like you, I, I, I want the authenticity. I want there to I, I don't care if I relate you know what I'm right. saying? Like, I'm not yes. the type of person that has to relate with every character. I mm-hmm. want to feel something. I want to learn through experience. And like movies like Moonlight, again, I don't mean to denigrate any of these. Moonlight is no, fabulous. Yeah. And and that one, I, I feel like I learned something. I feel like it's really important because it's not only about like being black, but it's also about being gay. Um, yeah. And I think that's like, like a really interesting subversion of stereotypes, not just because of the gay part, but the the culture that they're feeding into by depicting it, but also subverting because of the main character. Uh, and I just, I really love that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just with you on that, right? Yeah. I'm with you. So, so, so was, having said that though, cause we've already talked 20 minutes about this here. Mm-hmm. Like, so are there any movies or, or, or anything like that, that stand out to you that kind of, turned you on to a different viewpoint like uh like films that made you aware of a unique voice that mm-hmm. ended up being like black filmmakers or <clears throat> i'm not talking about your favorites mm-hmm. yeah. or particularly great movies even um mm-hmm. but right, like just yeah. you know that kind of uh built your awareness mm-hmm. or that uh moved you in some way that gave room for new voices and style uh, yeah. i've already mentioned too many times and i did a whole example thing in the intro about do the right thing so i'm not even going to talk about that <laughs> sure, but, yeah but things like that like yeah. when i watched do the right thing like that was a that was a, a moving of the line for me a broadening of the horizon right um yeah things like that T- tell me a little bit about your experience and some of the movies that might have done that for you yeah yeah there's well there's there's a couple that i have equate there's two so i want to i think i want to mention let's say four that um that really meant something to me personally um and and uh you know these first two uh you know i I already mentioned boys in the hood that's that's one of them that's that's one for me that you know that was during a time of you know racial upheaval and you know this is the early 90s and there's lots and lots of 
racial unrest and there was Rodney King and there were, you know, there was South Central Los Angeles riots going on. You know, we were watching them on TV and, you know, we, I, I remember at school, we actually stopped and I went to a school that was relatively integrated at the time, but still probably, it's probably still mostly white. Um, and I remember we stopped our, in our social studies class, we just quit our lesson plan for the day and started talking about, um, you know, Rodney King and, and all of that. And of course it, you know, I'm sure it wasn't a great conversation. <laughs> if you know, you could, if you imagine a, a, a ninth grade class of, you know, uh, of, you know, largely spoiled white people yeah. and, you know, a few black <laughs> yeah. people here and there too. Um, you know, it probably wasn't the greatest conversation, but especially not in today's context, but it was important at the time. And Boys in the Hood was such a reflection of that. And it, it you know, it was the thing that in the 80s they were hiding, right? Like that was the thing people talked about a lot in the 80s, but there's a lot of hiding it. Um, so, you know, the two movies that really shined a light on that was Boys in the Hood. And then the other one, um, which is a very different film, is White Men Can't Jump, which we've talked about a little bit too. Um, that, you know, that takes those stere- some of those stereotypes and, again, kind of starts poking at them a bit. Um, and, you know, it takes kind of the the brash, cocky black man and the, the kind of, I don't want to say meek, but outwardly meek white guy. Um, who, you know, they they have their various styles of playing the black man as the athletic guy, and then the white guy is the shooter. And, you know, it's Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, or Larry Bird, and, not even Magic Johnson, um, but, you know, Larry Bird and Michael Jordan basically on the same team. And, and they have all of these kind of racially themed discussions. And th- these are two guys of different colors who shouldn't like each other for, you know, a variety of reasons. But their color isn't really one of them, but it's also maybe kind of part of one of them, but somehow they become good friends. And, um, you know, the, the, that, uh, so that was like definitely something that stood out to me. Um, the, and, and I'm going to mention the one scene that, that really, that I, I like laugh at. It's kind of the low key scene in that movie, um, which is after Wesley Snipes has Sidney Dean has, um, basically double crossed his partner and hustled like hustle to him as they were hustling other people um and basically like set up to throw a game that he was you know so he like basically took all the money from him and uh he he and uh so uh Woody and and Rosie Perez go to their house to their apartment to confront him and of course all of the guys are sitting there watching a basketball game and so there's all this like you're going to give me my money back and it's like no you're not you know like no I'm not I'm not giving you anything back and they're like arguing and it's like escalating into a fight and they're uh, but the basketball game the lakers game is still on and they like they stop on this play and they're all like stopping to cheer for james worthy and it's it was just like this great moment it was like that just like defused it all and it was like you know okay well now we got to come up with something to to uh, really get along so it, it was like that was just kind of the microcosm because of course the whole time they're calling him white and it's like you're this white guy and he's like well you're this black guy and it's just like racial clashing racial clashing and then they stop so i I think that movie is like you know with boys in the hood those are almost like they're almost like kind of weird mirror images of each other in some ways uh in terms of like race relations so um it's it's obviously a lighter side than than boys in the hood but those movies you know at a formative time in my life kind of made a big difference um i have one more but i think i'll let you talk before i come back to it (laughs) <laughs> no, go ahead. Do, do the last well, it's, it's a yeah. it's a much different film, um, but it's uh, but I think it 
it kind of starts falling into that category I was talking about earlier about um, plugging white people into black, you know, roles for black people. Like how much different is the character going to be? Um, and this, this does that. And that's, that's a movie called Harlem Nights. Um, if you saw Harlem Nights, it's, uh, if you've not seen Harlem Nights, it, uh, it stars Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and uh, Red Fox, uh, Della Reese, like a mostly, a, a mostly black cast. Um, but, you know, they're, they're basically like gangsters in the twenties. And at the time it, it was not like a huge commercial hit and, uh, but it's a movie I've always enjoyed. Um, but the again, the thing about them, of course, the fact that they're all black is important to the plot. But again, as the characters, it doesn't define them. They they are allowed to be more than just a black person. And and you know, you get into like Richard Pryor's relationship with Eddie Murphy and and all of their relationships with each other. There's great comedy. Arsenio Hall's in it also. Um, there's a lot, there's it's it's like an all-star cast. Um, but it's it's a movie with if I want to call it quote unquote crossover appeal, um, it, it's the kind of movie at that time they weren't really making. Um, it, you know, if, if you go back a few years before, there was a lot of discussion as to whether Eddie Murphy was even going to be a, uh, as an actor, someone that could draw box office is, you know, is white America going to come see this black guy be a movie star. And, you know, if you progress from that, you know, like, and of course, Richard Pryor was there at the time and, had kind of some hits and some movies that were less than hits. Um, but Eddie Murphy became a huge star, um, you know, arguably on par with people like Stallone and Schwarzenegger, you know, I mean, from a comedic perspective, of course, but uh, largely, but it's all, you know, that, that was like the question back then. And, you know, it moved from that to here are, you know, here's kind of an all-star cast of, of black people who are, you know, who, you know, the the fact that they're black is celebrated a little more. They do run into a, a little bit of racism, but again, it's not the driving force of the film. The force of the film is them kind of coming to become successful and, you know, to be able to kind of, I guess, like live in that white world, but without, without race kind of constantly being brought up. So, and that's, and I think that's, I think that's important for, you know, whatever people think of that film. Again, I, I really enjoy it. Um, but that you know that's something that uh, that it's kind of important to to kind of watch as you you know as a white person watching a movie is you know are we are we being are we being pretentious and pandering and, and insulting to people or are you know when when we're enjoying these movies or are we you know kind of trying to make strides ourselves and you know be be a better person so to speak but yeah. And what shout out to Danny Aiello, who's also in Do the Right Thing, and he's yes. also in Harlem Nights. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I haven't seen Harlem Nights, actually. You asked me about that before we started. I haven't seen that, uh-huh. um, but I have seen the others. And it's interesting because I have watched White Man Can't Jump mm-hmm. recently, and yeah. then Boys in the Hood. It, that has been a while. Um, mm-hmm. But like Boys in the Hood is obviously John Singleton. Yeah. And White Man Can't Jump is by a white dude named Ron Shelton. And yeah. so it would be, which does not change the fact that it informed mm-hmm. how you see things. But I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. what an interesting difference also in the way that culture is described <laughs> in each yes. of those movies as well. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's an interesting group of movies to kind of talk about. I, I, I don't exactly remember because for a long time I was very much. Um, I mean, through most of my young, I'm 38 now, but I mean, like through like my late teens and early twenties, mm. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and most of my twenties, 
I was very much like the the quote unquote colorblind guy, you know, like yeah. oh, I don't see like I didn't think about color, you know, right. uh, or anything like that. So in many ways, I was just like a part of a problem. But mm-hmm. um, but the thing is, like, <clears throat> um, I didn't really start paying attention, quite frankly, to blackness in films. Right. Or yeah. or, or the authenticity of color or 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 community or like why movies are the way they are probably mm-hmm. until something like um like maybe Fruitvale Station or okay. uh that was probably there are actual real life things that made me think of it <laughs> yes. um but but in terms of movies though that started to form it fruitvale was probably one of the early ones i'm trying to think of another example if there was an earlier one i don't have anything written down yeah um but <clears throat> fruitvale station was a really impactful movie on me i remember the first half of it i wasn't that into as i was watching it mm-hmm. because I, I do love a slice of life like just show me the person's life raw untouched like do it and it just follows this dude around, right? I actually yeah. didn't even know that movie was about a real dude until like I had already watched it and saw real footage of like the funeral. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh shit! Like this is re-. like th- I think that's what made me think like, who's this director? Mm-hmm. What is this actually saying that I don't understand? You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And I think I, I hate to say it because that was like only 11 years ago, and we're barely in 2024, so it's really closer to 10. Um, yes. But like, uh, Fruitvale was a, a big thing for me. Another yeah. big thing for me, which is not a movie, but was also um, uh, The Wire, but we don't need to get into that. But that was like a yeah. big one. <laughs> Shout out to Michael B. Jordan, who's in both of those. But like, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I think the movie that probably had the biggest impact on me thinking about this, because I, I love like uh, if Beale Street could talk and and movies like that. But uh, probably Moonlight might be like one of those movies that really made me fucking think about a lot of shit I don't think about normally. You yeah. know, like, yeah. I think there's a place for the conversation because, unfortunately, there are too many people that still need to wrestle with a lot of shit, like mm-hmm. Fruitvale Station. Like, yes, let's just be real, like, cops shooting black people. Like, mm-hmm. like right. we still need to be beat over the head with this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like Moonlight has such a subtlety to it and such an independence to it. By that, I mean the character Chiron is we see three different generations of him. We see three different depictions by three different actors Mm -hmm. and each one almost fits a stereotype, but is immediately subverted. Yeah. In that context, even the drug dealer father figure which mm-hmm. is yet again something we're supposed to see uh, because that's what uh, black people do, right? right. Like, you know, yes. I'm being sarcastic, obviously, yes. but um, but it's like, man, it, it, he's treated like a fucking human. Right. This is mm-hmm. just like the job he does. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes. And so it, it's like that movie just like hits me every time I watch it, man. That's like a five star experience for me. Mm-hmm. Just like and, yeah. and again, just looking at sexuality in that culture. I, I did a lot of studies in school about homosexuality and hip hop culture. Um, like that was an area of study that I was like engaged in for a whole semester, pretty much. Yeah. And Beyond Beats and Rhymes was like. 
the first documentary that I saw that kind of like really pushed me in that direction to like think about these things. And so even though hip hop culture is not exclusively black culture um, and it is a potentially like a part of black culture, not a whole of black culture, um, but it is a part. And uh, looking at the like a lot of the like homophobic shit coming out of like that hip hop culture and stuff Mm -hmm. where it's like, no, 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 we can be hard, but we can't be gay, basically. Right. Right. Um, And just like it really like tackles and explores those ideas and then watching Moonlight and, and and The Wire was the first one that made me think about that because there's a character there who is a fucking hard ass, but is also gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like Moonlight takes that to like a new emotional level for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Omar is amazing in The Wire, but Chiron and Moonlight is the shit. <laughs> yes. uh, so like that was the thing. And then watching someone like Steve McQueen's small acts anthology, of course, like like there there out of all five of them, like there wasn't a five star experience for me as a whole, even. But <laughs> yeah. watching all of them was actually better than the sum of its parts somehow. Mm-hmm. Like I remember watching all five of them and just like the overarching like experience was almost better than any one movie for me, which yeah. ended up being in my top 10, which I did with you and Matt whenever that came out. But mm-hmm. Lovers Rock in particular, which is where a couple basically goes to a party and listen to people play music and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a, it is really a slice of life. There's not a huge plot involved in that hour and what, 10 minutes or however long that fucking short mm-hmm. is, basically. Um, but that one, I just loved the vibe. And it made me think, even though it takes place in the past, of course, and in a different culture, like culture and country. Yeah. uh, So, you know, we are experiencing something completely different. But there was something about that that I found enlightening Mm -hmm. and um, uh, offered me a perspective that I'm not used to seeing, I guess. And I found that to be really engaging and really thought provoking for me, thinking about even how people are treated in other places uh, like the UK. Mm -hmm. But what I also found was like, I wasn't surprised by like anything that happened to anyone because, and not like I predicted, of course there were like surprises, but I mean like, you know, when cops start beating up black people, I'm like, that happens here. (laughs) You know, (laughs) know, like, or like whatever, like, like they would show something and it's like, Fuck, you just really can't get away from this shit, can you? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, they, I, I think the important thing for me wanting to just talk about some of these things is to give people an opportunity to go check out some of these. And I love that you and I kind of delivered three completely different experiences, um, mm-hmm. like Mo- Moonlight, Fruitvale Station, and Small Axe, Lover's Rock in particular, but all the Small Axe mm-hmm. um, is, is pivotal for me. You had White Man Can't Jump. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Boys in the Hood, yep. and what was the last one? Harlem Nights. Harlem yeah. Nights, all very different. Um, any any final thoughts on this, Joe? Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we're doing this kind of in conjunction with Black History Month and things, and, you know, it's it's hard for us to, as white people, to talk about, that, you know, through any other lens, but our, but you know, a white one. So. You know, I don't know what we have, what else we have to contribute to this, but you know, there there are a lot of there. You know, there just you know, when it comes to cinema in, in general, there's 
you know, I'm I I think I'm glad that, that you know there are black voices being heard. I was you know, and and that are able to, you know, get in front of the camera, get behind the camera, and and do things. I, I was just thinking of sorry. I'll, I want to bring up one more person that Please. maybe is like a good middle ground is um, F. Gary Gray, um, the director who's done. Um, you know, he he got his you know one of his early things was you know Friday, and set it off. You know, these are movies that are you know again like kind of predominantly black casts and you know the being black is a is a part of that but yeah. then you have things like the negotiator which is uh a, an action movie i really love samuel L. jackson and kevin spacey yep um and then you have the italian job which i don't even know uh let's see i think mo's deaf is in that right it's been a long time since i've seen that so there's like there's a black guy in it but he's almost a token black guy you know it's like a very white movie and you know i, I mean and i don't want to you know i don't want to uh, insult Mos Def's character in that film because you know I I really like that, but he makes these you know he makes just like kind of he's made a lot of middle of the road sort of action movies. He also did Straight Out of Compton. He did The Fate of the Furious. So you know he's doing like blockbusters. Some of them are you know he's but you know my point is he's not only being pursued for telling quote unquote black stories. He's you know he's he's a kind of a mainstream filmmaker just making movies that are about a variety of things. He's making action movies. He's making dramas. He's making, you know, sci-fi. He directed Men in Black International, you know, which, uh, you know, say what you will about that. Be cool. So, you know, like he's he's doing a lot of things, A Man Apart, starring Ben Diesel from 2003, uh, just kind of going through his list. He did a whole bunch of music videos before that. But uh, so I guess some for them, some for him. But, uh, but you know, the these are, you know, he's he's someone that, you know, he's not, when you see his name, you're not going, oh, there's a black filmmaker, you know, like this is going to be some movie about, you know, some racially themed, you know, event or something. These are just, you know, he's making movies, he's making action movies, he's making dramas, he's making, you know, just movies that cross over that everybody can watch and everybody will love and there's no political controversy to it at all. So I, I think that's, those are the kind of people you know, that we should celebrate. I, I, want, I don't want to call him a, I don't want to call him a mediocre director. He's made some, some good movies and some less than great movies also, but you know, he's, he's just like a very normal director. You know, he's not a, he's not a black director. He's not Spike Lee, you know, someone who's, you know, he, he, Spike Lee is, you know, likes to make those kinds of films largely um, that are about the black experience. And, you know, and, and he wants to do, you know, F Gary Gray is obviously is doing things that are, um, you know, I don't want to say they're less important, but they're not like seeking this importance. He just wants to make good movies. So, um, you know, that that's somebody to to look at as well. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was looking at him because of straight out of Compton earlier. Yeah. And I was mm -hmm. a little surprised by uh, his filmography. And it does, dude, mm -hmm. it, it's almost impossible not to look at this filmography and go, well, um, you probably had to make these movies. These were the opportunities you were given. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because whenever you start with a movie like Friday, which mm -hmm. like is at the time from my from my perspective, I just remember like that is a movie made for black folks. Yeah, like mm -hmm. not that I wasn't allowed to watch it or something, but I just <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Uh -huh. I was like, what, tw how, when did that come out? Uh, 1995. Yeah. So it's fucking 10. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, pff, yeah. 
I, I didn't under I didn't understand what's going on in that movie. <laughs> like, sure, yeah, I just yeah. didn't get it. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so, um, like, yeah, it's interesting to see him start with something like that, kind of come back full circle to something like straight out of Compton. Yeah, and then but then you just see just in between all of those. You know what I mean? It's just like a bunch mm-hmm. of random fucking movies. Yeah, and I think I think what I it doesn't again this is just like a pointless statement to make but i do love whenever any filmmaker regardless uh has like a style or a a um a vibe like um i think there is i mean spike lee's also made movies that aren't inherently about the black experience, you know sure. what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's like, uh, but you're right. He's very outspoken and a lot of his movies yes. are about that. So I get what you mean, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's interesting to see filmmakers who have like a style, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And I, I like to see people work from their experience. And, you know, uh, I don't know what F Gary Gray's, uh, experience is or what his life's been like and mm-hmm. I don't know what fucking Steve McQueen's life's been like for him to make shit like shame and 12 years a slave and yeah. all this fucking bummer shit <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know that dude lives in bummerville too I don't know why but mm-hmm. uh, but anyways um, listeners if you have any movies from black artists or or movies about the experience and you want to share them with us? I am absolutely more than willing, and I actually encourage you to uh, more than willing to look into those and possibly share some more. Uh, you can hit us up Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and Medium Cool Pod at gmail.com. I will see them all. Uh, Joe, thanks. I know that this is kind of a weird topic to tackle as just two middle-aged white guys, but um, <laughs> I've told the listeners I want to do something like this again and try to bring someone else, even if mm-hmm. it's just me and them, um, but like bring mm-hmm. someone else that has a different perspective. But I, the reason I wanted to do this is because I think it's important that like movies like do the right thing or moonlight or if Beale street could talk or Steve McQueen's like small act stuff or Mm -hmm. anything like those are not movies only for black people. Like, I think it's important that we all like see and, 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 uh, and experience these other lives for the many reasons that I mentioned earlier in the intro, Um, and so that's more or less why I wanted to kind of talk about it, even though, uh, again, we don't necessarily understand the lived experiences of these filmmakers making these movies, or, uh, we're not a part of the cultures that may or may not be depicted, but, um, I I just think it's important to kind of watch with a, um, an open mind and an open heart and try to understand where these visions are coming from so that we can just get, more voices heard you know what i mean that was kind of my intent behind this and i hope it was successful but having said that buddy i really appreciate you going on this journey with me oh yeah thanks yeah thanks for for having me on it it's uh i yeah again i hope that we are representing things in in an appropriate way and um and you know being having the proper level of respect that we should be having because it's that's a it's a uh it's a slippery slope sometimes but um, yeah, it's, it's nice that this is, you know, that we're, we get to see films that kind of 
sort of continually are able to branch out a little bit more here and there, even if it's incrementally. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of, I guess it just leaves room for, you know, future in future years to have more great films that are coming out, but whether it's black or white or, you know, what, whatever race or, uh, you know, creed we might, you know, want to see there, you know, there's certainly, there are a lot of other, um, nationalities and things who film, you know, who kind of have a, a kind of a rich and vibrant film community that, that, um, don't get a, the attention at all. And that kind of come out every now and again, but, um, it, it's, it's nice to see us kind of, even as, even as, if it's a bit slow, it's kind of, uh, coming out in a more global way rather than being so segmented siloed into watching our own kinds of movies quote-unquote kinds of movies yeah i mean the fact that uh fucking uh oh man what are the fucking oscar nominees jesus um i'm looking them up now because i can't even fucking remember uh the thing i'm ruining my whole my whole bit dude why aren't you helping me I'm, okay. I'm working on it. <laughs> Past lives. That's the movie. <laughs> the fact that we got <laughs> uh-huh. the fact that we got past lives and anatomy of a fall, which anatomy of a fall is white as fuck. But that's not my point. My point yes. is the fact that there are even international things involved. You know, um, uh, yes, we've had international pictures. Um, obviously, be best picture nominees, <laughs> but it's just, it's just, it's like this year is surprising to me. I'm not gonna uh, lie, dude. We'll talk about this more in future episodes. But um, uh, yeah. looking Listen, at the nominees, it, I'm looking at them now, and I'm like, fuck, yeah. man. Like, who would have ever guessed mm-hmm. we'd be getting shit like this? Yeah, I don't mean shit in a bad way. I mean, because, right. again, some of the uh, most of these were in like our top tens, mm-hmm. but like, you know, but it's just cool, man. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I, I hope that we have uh, talked about this and given it the the respect that it's due. Um, Joe, thanks a lot, buddy. See ya. All right, everyone, that was our episode. Um, Quite frankly, I have no fucking clue what next week's episode is going to be yet. Joe and I talked about it for a while, and we haven't recorded it yet. Uh, So it's going to be a surprise. We shall see. Um, But for this one, uh, I just want to make sure that it is uh, clear that, uh, hey, we are open to hearing different opinions. If you don't agree or if you share, if you hold different uh, perspectives on uh, you know, uh, black filmmakers and, and their art, no like racist shit. Okay. But I'm just saying like, you know, again, I, we acknowledge that we're like two white dudes. We have different lived experiences. Um, if there's anything you think we were off on or anything, please let us know. I'm happy to hear those things. I always look for opportunities to grow, um, and, and learn more, uh, about things quite frankly, that I don't know and probably never will fully know you know what i mean i i I want to always be working to understand these things and try to understand um i don't know just those experiences you know and you know joe and i had uh, about like kind of a different uh not perspective per se but like a different uh take on how we approached these things you know because well, I don't need to get into the because, but uh, the point is, I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was kind of fun to put together, and and uh, 
I don't mean for this to be like a token episode because it's Black History Month, but it was just finally my excuse to do it. You know, I, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and uh, I'm just really glad that that we did. So all that said, thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. For now, good night, good luck, and take it easy. Thank you.